Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hey man, what's the good word? Welcome to the Skype call testing... Oh, never mind. Sorry. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, that, that <laughs> British woman with the sexy accent. Exactly. How are you doing? I call that just to talk to her, man. I know. I leave long messages to myself. <laughs> it's it's a regular masturbation fantasy for me, calling the, the British <laughs> Skype chick. <laughs> so, uh, so what's up? Oh, not much. It's the new year, our first show of the new year, which is kind of exciting. Twenty thirteen. It is twenty thirteen. It sounds ominous, though. I'm not, you know, I'm not like uh, totally down with with years ending in thirteen. Mm. And it wouldn't it be weird if the whole year was just a Friday? If like every day was a Friday, that would be bad. Like someone should release a a, a calendar of Friday the thirteenth in twenty thirteen. Friday. the Friday the 2013th. Yeah, I bet. You know what? I think there's a market for that. Uh, and then we just gave our idea away, oh, or your idea. Oh, well, that happens a lot to me. <laughs> so what happened uh, like a week ago, The um, you know, I had my little hard drive crash, my SSD crashed in my, my netbook, but the uh, the battery, which I've, I know I've mentioned to you off the show, has been like losing its ability to be charged like all rechargeable yeah, batteries do. and you've had to like balance your netbook on a, a stack of... Uh, of uh, paper boxes and books something and like that because so not only was the battery at the point where it could only hold like a 20 minute charge the power cord the the little round <laughs> thing that you plug into the the computer yeah. itself has been intermittent it makes and breaks you kind of got to twist it and jiggle it and bend it at weird angles Those to make little a connection connectors are just always so flaky i don't know why we, people still use that ancient design for the little yeah pin, pin some and... some laptops have a, a, a better thing so I, i'm using my laptop the other day and the 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 wall wart connection breaks and then <laughs> the laptop goes dead which means the battery wasn't putting out any juice at all and like you mentioned sometimes they develop an internal short and they just literally are worthless yeah yeah so that must be what happened so i went on amazon and i found a shop that had some dell mini 9 batteries for like 15 bucks which is a ripping deal and then they were like once i clicked on that that i wanted it another window popped up and said do you want a new power adapter too for like two dollars and 65 cents or something <laughs> and i went okay hell yeah because they get the 35 for that uh yeah. at dell right and oh. it doesn't say Dell, but who cares? They're all if made in China. If it says Apple, it gets, uh, it's like 85 So That's uh, right. And, and they're all made in China, and they all cost a dollar. And, yeah. uh, you know, Dell's getting a 3,500% upgrade, and these guys are only get a two, getting a 2.6. Uh, Tell uh, me, ask me how I know how much they cost. <laughs> how do you know how much they cost? <laughs> because my children have ripped through several of the damn things. Yeah. Just destroyed Reason, them. I love podcasting with you. You've given me reason number 1,342 about why I don't want kids. Uh, they don't come with a, a, a insurance policy on your You know your what else things. I got for the laptop? I got one of those little SD card, those outboard SD card readers. That's a, It's a USB device, but it'll take all of the different cards, memory stick, micro SD, SD, yeah, XD, compact flash. I've, I've got flash. a couple of those, like for camera cards and stuff. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to actually start backing things up to it, though. You know, I'm going to get like a 64 or 128 gig card and kind of just make it a hard drive, you know? Are they really? They must be really cheap now. The well, the the one twenty eights are over a hundred, but you can get a sixty four at a reasonable enough price, and the thirty twos are like twenty bucks. You know, yeah. 
I always kind of keep an eye out like when I see um, flash memory come down significantly, some kind of sale like the USB sticks. When they get down to like 10 bucks for a, for a 16 or something, I'll like pick some up. And so I've got this like big bowl of whatever was the cheapest flash memory at any given uh, month for the last few years. <laughs> it's just full of this mis- mismatched you know, going back to like 16 megabytes, I think. And that's exactly why I don't like the uh, USB jump drive idea anymore. They're all different sizes and oh, shapes. Right. Yeah, it's hard to, to do some kind of coherent backup that way. Yeah, and I like the idea of the SD card being a standard shape and size. And now they make these little, uh, like like Case Logic makes cases for them that'll hold sixteen of them. Yeah, you can so line you can them all actually, up. you know, you can actually store them in and in in a uh, efficient and reasonable way. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. as opposed to I've, I'm looking at four different jump drives in front of me. They're all different colors. They're all different sizes. One of them is tiny. One of them is the size of a thumbnail. Yeah, and it's the I've biggest one, one like I have. That. It's sixty four gigs. <laughs> it's a little. Uh, it seems like a cool idea, but I have to say I am a little concerned that I'll like drop it down a heat. Well, yeah, vent you'll lose something. it. Yeah. A client sent that to me to back up sessions to as I'm mixing a, a record for him, uh-huh. which is perfect. But I can't get over how small it is and, and how easy it would be to lose. And again, how they're all a completely different shape and size. So yeah. I'm going to get one of those little cases that hold 16 or 24 SD cards and I'm going to start labeling them and I'm going to use different ones for different backups and I don't know it just makes more sense to me. It seems like a cool idea. I just hope that they are really as reliable as as we kind of think they are because I know like in my cameras and in my devices they're not that reliable. And I don't know if that's the device or the card. But like suddenly, yeah, I don't you know, know. Carter, then I have to reformat it or whatnot. Well, so. why is it any different than a USB jump drive? It's all flash RAM. I, mean, I guess uh, maybe it's the fact that it's different um, a form factor, different contacts. I, I, I couldn't tell you. But. Yeah, I don't know. They're flatter and thinner. You know, USB drives are usually sort of thick, like a quarter inch yeah. thick and then three inches long. And Yeah, but it's just a chip in there. I mean, yeah. Well, we'll see, you know, if I suddenly, because I'm backing up all podcast uh, MP3s to one now. I had an eight gig jump drive, which mm. r- ran out of room like months ago. Right. Um, we keep we making have, it these things. I know. We have more than eight gigs. We got about nine gigs of MP3 uh, from day one of the show from 2005. So now I'm, um, I'm going to start backing them all up to the SD card. But cool. Anyway, you want to uh, you want to jump into tune number one? Let's play tune number one. This will get things uh, hopping here. a fun tune, a funny little whimsical sort of ska tune. 
Is it safe to come out from under my desk now? <laughs> I think so. I don't know what that means, but I, that was I think very, so. That was very energetic, really fun. Is that a musical saw in there at one point? <laughs> I don't know. It could be a sample of a musical saw. I know that's on some sample sets now. Yeah. I don't know if he knows how to play the saw or not. It's but that was crazy. actually. It was called The Sky is the Limit by Lonnie Ziblatt. He's the guitarist, principal songwriter, and singer in Modest Midget. And this is from his solo album, which he sent me. And I'm actually ashamed to say I didn't write the solo album's name down, and I don't have it in front of me. But I'll put it in I the will, show uh, notes. We'll yeah. put it in the show notes and mention it next week. Is that the, sh- the shortest song you've played on the show? It was under a minute. I think it was 54, 54 seconds. seconds. It's yeah. up there. I, I don't know for sure, but I know uh, Lev Zurbin, Leova, has written some right. little vignettes that are under a minute and I don't know how many of those we've played but okay. uh, if it's not the shortest it's, it's among close. them it's it's top yeah. two probably you know well that, it's a fun little piece I enjoyed it so so um, I'm listening, you know, I listen to public radio during the day, every day, and uh, the Quentin Tarantino was interviewed on Terry Gross's show. What's her show called? Fresh um, Air. Fresh Air with Terry Gross. And uh, she's on noon to one uh, locally, and it's one, It's probably my favorite show out of all of the, the shows because uh, her interviews are usually really good, and she always gets good people, and good people will go to her since she's respectful and they know that she's a good interviewer and et cetera. Yeah. So Tarantino is on because uh, his new movie, Django Unchained, is out. and yeah, um, generating a little controversy, I guess, as as is sure to gin up some extra ticket sales. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people talking about it for a lot of reasons, one of which is uh, the, the slave angle, the revenge angle. And, uh, I mean, I, on the show that follows her, uh, Tell Me More, which is a, a show uh, by a, a black woman, Michelle... Um, Martin, I think is her name. And so they talked about that. Her little round table of uh, mm-hmm. people of color, her barbershop uh, last Friday talked about it. And one of the guys said it was the blackest film ever made. <laughs> and it's so black that a black man couldn't even have made it because then that whole angry black man thing, which you talked about during the presidential debates, you know, would be would be played and hyped. And, you know, it's racist because he's an angry black man that made it, you know. Oh, he's so, getting that even even as a, a white man. Actually, the, the people who are, are getting it i think are the actors uh yeah they're yeah. getting accused of all this and somehow which is wor- if, ridiculous yeah you know? somehow if you they, follow fox it, it has to do with obama and the democrats as well like yeah so okay so tarantino is you know she's doing her normal thorough and thoughtful and 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 uh you know a pleasing interview to hear and i mean i don't know that much about tarantino i know that uh, uh i like most of his films uh, they are a little violent uh he writes very crisp dialogue i mean the dialogue that he wrote between um samuel jackson and john revolta in pulp fiction was just genius it, all of their that's that's a great movie i have to say i i haven't seen like the Kill Bill series, and and I haven't seen Inglorious Bastards and whatnot, but I still, uh, Pulp Fiction is a film I remember really fondly as being. Well, both, I, I would say it's a masterpiece. Actually, both, yeah, both funny and horrifying, and uh, and def- definitely memorable. Well, and the way he told the story, nonlinear, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, made you really think. But you know, just uh, you know, he's definitely a talented filmmaker. Some people do question the amount of violence he has in his films, and and that eventually came up in this Terry Gross interview. And right. I, I've linked to the Terry Gross interview in the show notes, and I would encourage all of you to uh, 
to download that show, that podcast. Well, they call it a podcast, but it's really just media. It's not a podcast. But um, mm-hmm. uh, download it and check it out and see what you guys think. But I was very annoyed by Tarantino. So Terry Gross starts, at, you know, sort of. Uh, bringing the conversation around to talking about violence, and she couched one of her questions in a on a kind of post Connecticut school shooting, you know, angle, and you know, and she said something like, you know, would you be able to watch a, a violent film like on the day of the shooting, and you know, he could kind of see the where Newtown massacre, the Newtown Connecticut massacre. Yeah. And, he could kind of see where she was going, and I, I get that if you've been making violent films for 20 years, you're going to be asked questions, and I'm sure he's tired of, as he said, he's tired of answering these questions. Well, he kind of, he, she kind of led into it. She she talked about initially a little bit whether he thought that there were really any limits to what he would put uh, in a film as to, you know, for him, at what point did it become, like, uh, did the violence become uh, repulsive or exploitative? Well, and, and the answer was yes to that question, you know. He, he, there is a limit, and for his limit is higher than most people's, I think he said. Yeah, because he talks about how uh, when he showed his rough cuts to the audience, he realized he was pushing them too far and they were not having the emotional response he wanted because they were too overwhelmed by their feelings of yeah what uh, was the word he used he brutalized them or something the violence i think it's something like that that it was just too much and it didn't allow them you know at the end of this film he wants you to cheer for django the slave as he gets his revenge or something and you know the people were so emotionally overwhelmed by the the previous violence that he wasn't able to bring you to that point i think he said he traumatized the traumatized yeah yeah. So, um, but so she formed this question, and it was it, it was really you know, it, it was a very poorly framed question. She was tripping over her words. She might have been having a bad day. She almost sounded a little afraid to ask the question. You know, sort of framing it in the the context of the Newtown, yeah. Connecticut shootings. And she, yeah, she was timid because I think she I, th- I think she likes him. I think she admires his work, and so she didn't want to offend him. And maybe she was being a little excessively deferential because of that. Well, yeah, and and I, I have heard all of her famous interviews where she asked a tough question and gotten beaten up, like when she was interviewing um, oh. Dick Cheney's wife and they mentioned yeah. the, the lesbian daughter. And I heard the interview that never actually even was allowed to be played where she interviewed Gene Simmons from Kiss and they had <laughs> a big back and forth and he ultimately wouldn't sign the paper that would let him put it on the air, but it subsequently got leaked. He was so very, I've heard yeah, it. he was extremely Oh, he was an asshole. Crude. He was yeah. just a a rude jerk. So, you know, Tarantino, the, you could sense a chill in the air when she kind of mentioned the Newtown thing. And, and, I, and that may have been a little out of bounds because it's sort of linking his movies, if you will, to to Newtown. And I, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I, I'm, I'm okay with asking any question, but it shouldn't be something like, do you think your films are responsible for the shooting in Newtown, Connecticut? I mean, you know, if you want to draw connections between on-screen violence and possible real life violence that's fine but especially a month after you know even bringing it up might have been a little out of a little out of bounds but I'm I'm not opposed to the question in general mm-hmm. but he seems to kind of be opposed to the question I mean you know there was definitely a chill in the air you get and- the feeling that that he he is so used to kind of being deferred to in his expertise as a filmmaker and because he's reached this certain point in his career where he's so respected that he was a little um, uh, 
what's the word uh arrogance well i i definitely agree i think there's some arrogance there you know he's used to going on like jay leno and having people uh sense, sense uh, of entitlement like sense sense of of being offended that that uh one of his servants would be so uh, he, indignant indignant indignant's good that's a good word yeah you know and but you know he's there used was a to going bit on of that yeah yeah and i think he's I, and i absolutely believe that i think he's used to going on leno and let him and having everybody applaud and everybody tell him how great he is how dare you ask me a question about the violence in my films i'm right. quentin tarantino well you know what we got rid of royalty 250 <laughs> years ago in this country and i'm really okay with not bringing it back yeah he's a talented yeah. guy but you know there are a lot of talented guys in this world, and if you go on uh, the Terry Gross show, you're gonna be asked questions, and you might be asked a difficult question that you're not gonna get asked on Jay Leno or Larry King. Or it did strike me this. Uh, I don't know whether the um, like this Wonderkind thing, this like you know, uh, I'm special thing. Uh, she she was he was talking about uh, what constitutes uh, a spaghetti western beating, where there's there's this. Right. Ten uh, thing that happens in this genre of film, a lot of these westerns, where at some point the hero is going to be taken prisoner and they're going to beat the hell out of him, and and that's uh, the setup for his revenge ultimately. Yeah, and Terry Gross asks him what he likes about that. She literally said, "What do you like about that?" And there's this pause, and he says, "It's fun." And yeah, you kind of wonder a little bit about like the character and the aesthetic sense of the man who believes that's fun. He makes this distinction between um, violence that you're supposed to empathize with. In other words, that, you know, you're supposed to feel physical revulsion, you know, your your landing lights are supposed to go up, you're supposed to um, almost feel like it's happening to you, sympathize with, with the character who's who's being beaten. But then when it comes to the revenge fantasy part, of the violence that's also going to be graphic or gory, if not as as graphic and gory, then more so, then you're supposed to cheer for that. You're supposed to feel this big release and catharsis, and you're not really supposed to sympathize with the, uh, the you know, the people who are getting hurt then. And right, I, and he puts, he has this kind of thing, he sort of puts it in air quotes that he calls movie violence. Movie and, violence, he uses yeah, that he, phrase he a couple this, times. He has this idea that, you know, everything, since it's in a movie, it's fake, it's movie violence. And I think he makes the logical error that many people make where because it's true for him, it's true for everybody, which isn't true. So true as in like being desensitized, that he's desensitized? Not that he's necessarily desensitized, but he can tell the difference between movie violence, which we're supposed to laugh at, and the violence of Newtown, which we're supposed to be horrified by. You know, or the the difference between the the rape scene in the beginning of the movie and then the revenge yeah. scene where the woman gets him back. We're supposed to be horrified by the initial violence of the rape scene, and then we we love the scene where we get revenge on the bad guy. So he keeps throwing out this phrase: "It's movie violence." It's movie and violence. And he, I'm he not even, sure I believe there is any such thing as putting up air quotes movie violence. Yeah. Well, he even does. He talks about how. Uh, you know, there are things that go way too far for him, and, and even a small amount to him of actual suffering or pain or death of animals, or he even mentions insects, he right, he's right. basically says is out of bounds for him. 
And so, you know, I, I, mean, I agree with that. You shouldn't, you know, like, it's not okay to drive a horse off a cliff just to get a really graphic, gruesome scene in a film, you know? Well, I mean, and thankfully got, we, we, we got, don't do you know, that kind of thing ASPCA anymore. helped get rid of that. Well, here's, here's yeah. a few things I wrote down. Okay. Um, I, I'm paraphrasing this quote, but I, uh, I heard this quote a few years ago, and I don't remember exactly how the quote goes, but the gist of the quote is this. You will never convince a man who makes his living by doing a particular thing that that said thing is bad, even if it is. Right? Yeah, I think that's because, a great point. Yeah, yeah, because he's got to make, feed his family by doing whatever it is he does. Be it um, right, maybe right. maybe he runs a slaughterhouse and he he kills cows and that ultimately becomes meat, or maybe he makes violent movies. Right. So does he really believe there's no connection between on-screen violence, or does he just like his lifestyle, the adoration that he gets going on the Tonight Show and have everybody go crazy? And this, you know, and I'm just going to come out and say it. You know, this he's still living in the, his 12-year-old adolescent world when he fantasized about being able to make these movies. Well, now that he's an adult yeah, and he's yeah. respected, he can make these 12-year-old adolescent fantasy movies that he dreamed about 20, 30 years ago whenever he was 12. So, I mean, does he really believe there there is no connection or does he just want to continue making these movies and live this bizarre fantasy life, you know, this elitist, if you will, definitely elitist fantasy life that he gets to live? by making these movies it does seem that way it does seem like he's still making movies that are structured around like you know the revenge fantasies of a bullied kid or something like that terry gross actually she asked him you know she was trying to get at this point of uh what do you see yourself doing as an older like more mature filmmaker you know she was i think getting at uh, are you gonna leave like the action genre kind of thing uh behind and he didn't say that. What he said was he he expected to to be writing then, so not even making films. Yeah, a, a man of letters, you know. And, and again, your point earlier in the show about her liking him and perhaps not wanting to offend. I mean, right. boy, the the way she led up to that question, it was like, oh, I really like you and what you do, and I want to know. I'm gonna want, when you're sixty, I'm still gonna want to know what you're thinking and what yeah, you're doing. Yeah. Well, and again, I, I it's do more think, this adoration, you know. I do think that's genuine. I mean, I, she might be. I'm sure she probably doesn't have the same cutoff point as far as uh, distaste for violence but I th- I think her her admiration for like action films and all that is is genuine well, she, she talked about that she grew up on yeah. the westerns and a lot of the right. kind of films that that they both uh, enjoy and that's fine and that's fine I think there are some bigger questions here though too you know uh, I mean the the actual question of does on screen violence and all of these super violent you know 3D video games that are out now I mean they're a fairly r- relatively recent thing right yeah. those super realistic shoot 'em up uh, call yeah. of duty type video games so I yeah. mean, for for I mean, t- I don't I don't remember exactly what he said. I don't re- you know he doesn't believe there's a connection. Okay, that's not the same as saying there isn't a connection. But I mean, right. to d- to dismiss the idea that there may be a connection is just as bad as to insist there definitely is until you know there's more research and I think I, mean, I think it, that's true. But it's sort of there's I was trying to get at that, that there's a context in in presenting. Violence. Now, obviously, not everyone's going to understand the context, but I don't think you're necessarily responsible for people misunderstanding your film. But honestly, if your film is like, so let's say you do a war movie, it's going to have violence in it. It doesn't, that doesn't mean the war movie, you know, whether it's Saving Private Ryan or I mentioned Platoon as being a particularly graphic movie, you know, that doesn't mean the point of the movie is 
is to to promote violence or glorify violence. It's actually the opposite. Yeah, but, and again, those are films that are in a particular historical context, so there yeah, is they more be. context, you know, but for so, the but violence. But what's the what's the context of one of his revenge fantasies? I mean, yeah, uh, Django is in a historical context, and so was Inglorious Bastards. But like Pulp but, Fiction wasn't. That was contemporary, yes. real life gangsters. There are guys like that living and and doing that sort of thing in big cities all around the world, you know? Being, and the violence in that one was always, I thought it was always in these uh, interesting and surprising ways that are really designed to to throw you off guard, to throw you off balance and make you, uh, my f- uh, favorite example is the scene where they, uh, Travolta and um, uh, what's his name? Samuel Jackson. Or they're Samuel in the car Jackson. and they shoot yeah. the guy's head off. They accident. They're just they're arguing and waving a gun and just totally by accident they they spatter this kid's brains all over the back window and it's um it's a gruesome horrible moment but it's so unexpected and their reaction to it is so is so off the wall that it actually makes you laugh and then you have to like look go you go oh my god i can't believe i'm laughing at that yeah you know yeah. but well, it's, there, there it, are the violence in that there are moments where it's definitely supposed to surprise you and i think evoke evoke laughter definitely and then, then later it, just moments later in that film we actually see tarantino make his cameo but yeah but then that's all about like this is really that that brings home this idea that dealing with death and and these this gruesome violence really is these guys' lives and they have to deal with it in this incredibly practical way like then they have to call out the call out this cleaner guy to come and help them clean up this mess, you know. The wolfman. So, yeah. So. Well, right. And and we don't have any uh uh competing psychologists on our show to talk about the research that has been done drawing you know links between so i don't know the answers and i don't know what they are and but that bit of that bit is supposed to be horrifying but i'm wondering when he talks about like you were saying movie violence and you have this revenge fantasy and and at the end you know a lot of people are are horribly injured and killed i think kill bill is one big revenge fantasy you know the series, but yeah, what does what does presenting all that really do to people? I, I'm not sure it does much that's really good. Yeah, so. and if you are a filmmaker like Tarantino, who who's basically been specializing in violent films for the past 20 years, right. and you go on a show and you don't want to be asked questions, at least occasionally about violence, you might want to consider changing your subject matter. It is a fair yeah. question. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So again, I don't have any answers, but I was just really irritated by Tarantino's elitist kind of, you know, how dare you indignant sort of response to to the question. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, in, in there was a point where he said to her, uh, I think you're asking me this question is offensive. It's offensive yeah. to the memories yeah. of the people who died in Connecticut. That, and to be that honest, was o- that was over the top. I thought you know, he was being offensive because I thought yeah. he was hiding behind that to avoid right. answering the question. So I was more offended by his feigning offense. And I think he was, I know this is sort of like the he said, she said, but you don't know that I know that you know. But I think he was sort of feigning offense a little. It's like the fainting couch, like, oh my God, that's so, that's so, uh, I can't believe you would even say that, you know, like your your mouth is hanging over, open in mock horror. It's, it really is. I mean, here, here's the thing. He's not necessarily, I mean, he talked about eventually when he's a man of letters, you know, writing film criticism and whatnot. And he watches a lot of films for fun. That said, I don't expect him necessarily, it's not necessarily his job 
to become an expert on the psychology of film violence and the psychology of of violence and public you know shootings and crime and all that it's that's not necessarily his job he's not going to you know work for the cdc and study uh you know, co- morbidity cofactors or whatnot. A, a curious but, person would be willing to entertain a discussion yes, about it. Yes, yes, You know, a exactly. thoughtful person. But your your point, uh, uh, and I think honestly, he is a curious and thoughtful person. He's obviously a pretty intelligent guy. He's very clever in his writing and whatnot. But your point about how you know he's not going to uh, shoot his career in the foot by admitting that. Uh, He's really causing more social problems than he's illuminating. Yeah. And, you know, uh, again, I'm not saying there's a link. And we certainly with the with the relative newness of, like I said earlier, those shoot 'em up games, it's going to be decades of research that that are required. But how how does exposing I used to work with a guy in, in a sales job, which can be a little stressful. And he's like, yeah, when I go home, I. I play like three hours of, of Call of Duty just to de-stress from the day. And I was like, really? And I was wow. just like, I to myself, I said, that's the saddest fucking most pathetic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you ignore your wife for three hours and play a kid's game just to I wind do. down from a sales job? No, I but, do so, have friends in their, in their 40s, my age, who still play these. I, I'm not... Let me say, I'm not looking down on them, and I'm not criticizing them for that per se. Who who still really love these violent first person shooters? And you know, well, what? Well, the I, point I, I have can't... though is the, the this guy does it for three hours, yeah, five days yeah. a week. That's 15 hours just That's to wind down from work. Yeah. You now add to that all of the Tarantino very... films, and then the right. other times that you play it for fun when you just want to play it on a Saturday, not for winding yeah, down. I mean, right. this has to be having some sort of effect. I don't know what it is, but yeah. I wonder what it is. I know that you know what I know that I used to love the first person shooters. I played Doom a lot and Quake I've a lot. I've never played one. Never played. I did a first like them a shooter. lot. They are cathartic and they were really fun. I enjoyed them a lot. So I can't. I'm not going to judge anyone who enjoys them. I just somehow reached a point where I no longer have the taste for them, and I think that's not by accident. I think that's. That's because I, deep down I, I, I feel that there is a connection in this desensitizing towards violence. And for the rest of my life, I not that I'm never going to play another video game in which anyone gets hurt, although I don't play much, but, um, but uh, I just want to concentrate more on teaching and um, and spreading compassion and kindness rather than uh, violence yeah. and brutality. Well, the, the last thing I'll say on this topic, other than the fact that, uh, it, uh, Quentin, if you're listening and you want to come and talk to us, uh, interview, let us interview you, that would be great. Terry yeah, Gross, if you want to come on our show, that would be cool. But the, the last thing I will say is this. Um, Terry Gross was very tentative when she posed that violence question to him, and I, I said that earlier in the show. And it's like she didn't own it. It's like she was afraid to ask it. And and the funny thing and the quite ironic like thing that, yeah. is that uh, Quentin Tarantino told a similar story about owning something on that very, very interview where he was talking about filming the slave scenes and he didn't want to do them in the U.S., because he didn't want to re-expose people to the horrors of slavery. Right, and then he mentioned right. going out to lunch with Sidney Poitier, the, the first uh, black actor to ever get an Academy Award. Wonderful, uh, wonderful actor. And he said, it sounds to me like you're afraid of your own movie. Dude, just own it. You know, film them here. Everybody knows it's a movie. They get it. Yes. So my, my comment to Terry would be, don't be afraid of your own questions. Just own yeah. them. But, yeah. you know, she was probably having a bad day and she tripped over a lot of her words. And, you know. 
know, so she definitely needs to, th- that question in particular should be the one she thought right. about the wording of the most, because that was the most uh, uh, um, controversial? controversial question. Uh, that's so. the most controversial aspect of the film. But yeah, it is interesting how he did feel and acknowledge that that was a sensitive thing. And that it it was a little troubling to him, although he saw it as being in the 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 greater service of, of the storytelling. So if know? he can see that fake right. putting his actors through that little bit of trauma to reenact the slave scenes might be right. too much for them, you know how can't he see that maybe movie violence might not be the best thing in the world either? I don't know, but we don't right. we don't know. But it was just definitely go out and listen to that show, everybody out there. It's it's on the NPR website, and if you have any feedback uh, on your thoughts on that uh, particular interview, that'd be great. But uh, you want to uh, jump into two number two? Yeah, let's play two number two. All right, check it out. Watch him dangling, it's chill. 
Oh, yeah. Very sultry tune by the Donafors. That one was called Cherry Season. If you need me, I'll, I'll be in my bunk. That's right. And uh, that was the second time we've played the Dona Fours, a uh, great Canadian band. They sent me down a couple of CDs. That one was on a record called Award-Winning Album. <laughs> hint, hint. That's right. Yeah. And it, it, I haven't listened to all of it yet, but that was the first song. I pressed play, and I went, ooh, good tune. Let's play that. She's got a great voice, really. Yeah, this, they're uh, just a very jazz, yeah, practiced. Smooth, jazzy voice. You know, yeah. They have an idea about what they're doing compositionally. It all makes sense to my, my brain, and uh, they're just really, really, uh, really good. But uh, yeah. So I guess that's a show, man. I guess that's a show. This is Rich Wilgus in scenic New York Mills, New York. I am Paul Potts in freezing cold Saginaw, Michigan. Well, actually, it did get down to minus 5 or minus 10 last night. But we're back up to near 30 now, so it's not Uh, as cold. But check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Send us feedback. We'd really like to hear your thoughts on either this uh, interview or film violence in general. So feedback at bloodyveg.com. And leave us a voicemail, 206-376-0397. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.